Section 27 of U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Audric Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Audric Plan by Alfred Owen Crozier. Appendix Correspondence Part 2. Mr. Aldrich states that there are two indispensable requirements in any plan to be adopted involving a central bank of issue. The one is that the control of the money system shall be kept free from the Wall Street influences, and the other that it shall not be manipulated for political purposes. These are two principles in which we can all subscribe. This public declaration was what Ryder hoped to call out from Mr. Aldrich or the President by the letter of August twentieth, 1909, so the country might know what was coming. Nearly a year earlier, Ryder had caused one of the leading press correspondents of New York to personally interview Frank A. Vanderlip, then vice president and now president of that great Standard Oil institution, the National City Bank. Mr. Vanderlip then was reported as saying, in 1908, that the Monetary Commission would report in favor of a central bank to issue and control the currency. Because that bank had led in the fight for a central bank, and to create the Monetary Commission, and on account of Senator Aldrich being the father-in-law of John D. Rockefeller, Jr., this early information was considered reliable, as now it proves to have been. That letter was as follows. The White House, Washington, Beverly, Massachusetts, August 23, 1909. My dear sir, your letter of August 20th in regard to financial legislation has been received and will be brought to the attention of the President. Very truly yours, Secretary of the President. Mr. Alfred O. Crozier, Wilmington, Delaware. Wilmington, Delaware, August 20th, 1909. Honorable William H. Taft, Beverly, Massachusetts. Dear Sir, I most earnestly hope that no special session of Congress will be called prior to December to attempt currency legislation. There would not be sufficient time for the people and press to study and discuss so important and difficult a subject. There may be those who urge a special session as a means of passing measures that could not be put through if the country was given time to learn the true character and effect of such a law, but I am sure you would not knowingly countenance such a course. You have in a short time won the confidence of the masses, and they trust your judgment and vigilance to guard their welfare and prevent hasty and ill-considered laws. It would seem that your responsibility in this regard is particularly heavy because the average man does not realize how his business and general welfare may be jeopardized by unwise banking and currency laws. I had hoped it might be convenient to discuss this subject with you personally before it came to an issue, but the published report of the talk of an extra session impels me to write you. Now, Mr. President, I think there is ample evidence to establish beyond reasonable doubt that there is on foot a determined movement, well concealed from the people, to take from the people's government and to put into private hands all control over the volume of the public currency. This, of course, would mean direct or indirect control by Wall Street of the people's entire money supply, those exercising this power to inflate and contract at will the volume of the circulating medium could thereby easily and to a large extent increase and decrease the prices of securities, property, and labor. Are we ready to take a step so full of possible peril to the public welfare? Should it even be considered at a special session that it can at most last only a few weeks? The power to contract suddenly and arbitrarily the volume of currency available for business necessarily carries with it power to increase interest rates, to wreck credit, derange business, endanger the solvency of banks, and the security of depositors, and even to cause panics. It is not sufficient to believe that such a power would not be used to that extent by human beings. 
Is it wise or patriotic to put such enormous power into private hands when it is not necessary? If it is attempted, I believe it will be the beginning of one of the greatest financial struggles in recent history, one vastly more intense and important than the silver controversy, one that will engender class hatred as never before, and I do not want to see the Republican Party committed to the wrong side. It seems to me it is relatively less important what our money is made of, so long it is redeemable in gold and backed by the credit of the federal government, than it is to have its volume free from private control and manipulation and ever responsive to the varying demands of business. To get currency elasticity, it should not be necessary to give individuals the power to contract when it should expand. Better, no elasticity, unless we can have one, that will operate automatically in response to the rise and fall of natural demand. I firmly believe if a fight for private control over the public currency is started, it will lead to an irresistible demand for a government issue of national currency exclusively, all redeemable in gold, the volume to be regulated from day to day by the federal government. I am not saying that this would be wise, but I think it would be inevitable, and preferable if the alternative is private Wall Street control, direct or indirect, over all the money of the people. The distinguished governor of one of our largest states said to me that he could not believe anyone would seriously propose such a plan, yet the Committee on Resolutions at the National Civic Federation meeting, a majority of whom were Wall Street men, flatly refused in public to accept my amendment to their currency resolution, which said merely, provided that the power to regulate the volume of the public currency shall not be taken from the federal government and put into private hands. The Aldrich Currency Bill, when reported, contained a provision allowing sudden contraction not only of the $500 million of emergency currency, but also the $700 million of banknote circulation, totaling $1,200,000,000, or nearly half of all currency in circulation in the United States. When my petition of protest was read in open Senate in the midst of the discussion of that bill, exposing this dangerous provision, Senator Aldrich instantly went privately to the senator who introduced my petition and told him the Finance Committee would strike out the provision allowing the sudden contracting of the entire banknote currency. But why was it put in at all? Those who drafted that bill and those in whose interests many believe it was framed are not novices. There are those who believe that the Aldrich Vreeland Law was largely but a foil for the real measure desired and which will be revealed only when the monetary commission created by that law reports, and that the recent significant reorganization of certain congressional committees was part of a predetermined plan to force through Congress the mysterious measure, the character of which is to be carefully concealed from the public until the last moment. If this be true, the demand of the interested promoters for hasty action at a special session is explained. If information which came to me nearly a year ago proves correct, the Monetary Commission will report in favor of a great central bank. This is to be given absolute control of the financial business of the government, with exclusive power to issue currency ad libitum, and to contract the volume at its pleasure. This institution to be called a government bank, but owned privately. It will be thinly sugar-coated by a provision allowing the president to appoint some of the directors. The chief fight then will be as to whether the institution shall be owned and controlled privately or by the government. The Republican Party cannot afford to take the wrong side if this issue is to be forced upon the country. It will court disaster if it does so. The people were led to expect that the Monetary Commission would be open and impartial in its investigation and hearings, giving ample opportunity to all who might desire to be heard. 
the hurrians have mostly been held in europe and not in the country chiefly concerned they have been as secret as a council planning a military campaign those attended who were privately invited and their names have been carefully concealed from the public the people in the press of the united states have been completely ignored and now rumor says that you are to be asked to convene congress in extraordinary session to receive and hastily act on this mysterious report presumably that its plan may be enacted into law before the people have time to understand its provisions and their effect or to organize and express their opposition i sincerely hope our fears are not justified but in any event i am sure we can rely on the executive authority to protect the people against hasty and unwise financial legislation very respectfully yours alfred o crozier Ryder has refused to credit the published reports that the president's mind was being shaped by Mr. Aldrich, and the more serious intimation that the apparently insurmountable opposition to President Taft's nomination in 1908 was overcome by a deal that resulted in the passage of the Aldrich Emergency Currency Bill, then supposed to be killed, the creation of the Monetary Commission with Aldrich at the head, and Democrats and Republicans of his selection with him, the sudden change of front in Mr. Taft's favor of the most powerful banks and Wall Street financiers, with the alleged understanding that if nominated and elected he would be dependent upon at the last moment not to veto but to support the private central bank plan that from the start it has been known the commission was created to promote surely the president was not a party at any such unpatriotic deal even if it was made if mr mcvee a democrat was appointed secretary of the treasury at the instance of the promoters of the aldrich plan so that a prominent democrat would be in position to help fool andrew jackson democrats into believing that the contemplated central bank is not a central bank of course the president was not aware of the scheme knowledge that the special interests never support any one whom they even doubt generally know what they are doing take nothing for granted exact in advance a most definite and binding arrangement the fact that the sudden change of such interests at the last moment cinched mr taft's nomination and election the character of some of his chosen official advisers in the cabinet and in congress were all incidents calculated more or less to shake one's confidence and create grave doubts and fears hoping against hope giving the benefit of the doubt we could only await the raising of the curtain on the final act in the great drama representing the struggle of the people against the interests to discover whether the president the sworn defender of the republic the chief actor would cast his great influence and official power on the side of the people or their enemies the complete confidence of wall street during the whole of the time since june nineteen o eight that its half-century-long dream of a great central money trust under its control soon would be realized the formation of side partner security companies by the big wall street banks to buy up control of enough other banks throughout the country to control the proposed national reserve association and many other acts in preparation for the feast of profits and power the monopoly of money and control of all credits would confer increased the feeling of uncertainty as to the real position of the chief executive of the nation president taft at last has officially announced his position in his message to congress on december twenty first nineteen eleven as follows monetary reform a matter of first importance that will come before congress for action at this session is monetary reform the congress has itself arranged an early introduction of this great question through the report of its monetary commission this commission was appointed to recommend a solution of the banking and currency problems so long confronting the nation and furnish the facts and data necessary to enable the congress to take action the commission was appointed when an impressive and urgent popular demand for legislative relief suddenly arose out of the distressing situation of the people caused by the deplorable panic of nineteen o seven 
the Congress decided that while it could not give immediately the relief required, it would provide a commission to furnish the means for prompt action at a later date. In order to do its work with thoroughness and precision, the commission has taken some time to make its report. The country is undoubtedly hoping for a prompt action on the report as the convenience of the Congress can permit. The recognition of the gross imperfections and marked inadequacy of our banking and currency system, even in our most quiet financial periods, is of long standing, and later there has matured a recognition of the fact that our system is responsible for the extraordinary devastation, waste, and business paralysis of our recurring periods of panic. Though the members of the Monetary Commission have for a considerable time been working in the open, and while large numbers of the people have been openly working with them, and while the press has largely noted and discussed this work as it has proceeded, so that the report of the Commission promises to represent a national movement, the details of the report are still being considered. I cannot therefore do much more at this time than commend the immense importance of monetary reform, urge prompt consideration and action when the Commission's report is received, and express my satisfaction that the plan to be proposed promises to embrace main features that, having met the approval of a great preponderance of the practical and professional opinion of the country, are likely to meet equal approval in Congress. It is exceedingly fortunate that the wise and undisputed policy of maintaining unchanged the main features of our banking system rendered it at once impossible to introduce a central bank, for a central bank would certainly have been resisted, and a, and a plan into which it would have been introduced would probably have been defeated. But as a central bank could not be a part of the only plan discussed or considered, that troublesome question is eliminated, and ingenious and novel as the proposed National Reserve Association appears, it simply is a logical outgrowth of what is best in our present system, and is in fact the fulfillment of that system. Exactly how the management of that association should be organized is a question still open. It seems desirable that the banks which should own the association should in the main manage it. It will be an agency of the banks to act for them, and they can be trusted better than anybody else chiefly to conduct it. It is mainly bankers' work, but there must be some form of government supervision and ultimate control, and I favor a reasonable representation of the government in the management. I entertain no fear of the introduction of politics or of any undesirable influences from the properly measured government representation. I trust that all banks of the country possessing the requisite standards will be placed upon a footing of perfect equality of opportunity. Both the national system and the state system should be fairly recognized, leaving them eventually to coalesce if that should prove to be their tendency, but such evolution cannot develop impartially if the banks of one system are given or permitted any advantages of opportunity over those of the other system. And I trust also that the new legislation will carefully and completely protect and assure the individuality and the independence of each bank to the end that any tendency there may ever be toward a consolidation of the money or banking power of the nation shall be defeated. It will always be possible, of course, to correct any features of the new law which may in practice prove to be unwise, so that while this law is sure to be enacted under conditions of unusual knowledge and authority, it also will include, it is well to remember, the possibility of future amendment. With the present prospects of this long-awaited reform encouraging us, it would be singularly unfortunate if this monetary question should, by any chance, become a party issue, and I sincerely hope it will not. The exceeding amount of consideration it has received from the people of the nation has been wholly nonpartisan, and the Congress set its nonpartisan seal upon it when the Monetary Commission was appointed. In commending the question to the favorable consideration of Congress, I speak for and in the spirit of the great number of my fellow citizens who, without any doubt of party or partisanship, feel with remarkable earnestness that this reform is necessary for the interests of all people. 
to avoid any possibility of doing the president injustice the following letter was sent milwaukee wisconsin december twenty second nineteen eleven honorable william taft president of the united states washington d c dear sir referring to your financial message to congress of yesterday kindly advise whether it was your intention thereby to approve specifically or in a general way the aldrich plan for a national reserve association owned by the banks please also advise as to whether you will insist on a clear majority of the directors of such an institution being appointed by the federal government so that the government will have supreme and absolute control of this private corporation my permanent post office address is care of the romaine middleton avenue clifton cincinnati ohio thanking you i remain very respectfully yours alfred o crozier the reply to the above cannot be published because it was marked personal the language of the president's message however leaves no hope that he will oppose the aldrich plan or insist on government ownership or any public control that will be effective the following quotations from letters published elsewhere in this volume in full are more than significant they are eloquent a letter dated december twenty seventh nineteen eleven from the american bankers association says referring to your inquiry about president taft's attitude we have no further advices than extracts from the president's message to congress in which it appears he endorses the aldrich plan the national bank of commerce in new york writes on january third nineteen twelve the writer has not before him the annual message of president taft but his recollection is that the aldrich bill was favorably mentioned therein december twenty sixth nineteen eleven mr alfred o crozier plunkington house milwaukee wisconsin dear sir answering yours of the twenty second i beg to state that in a recent address i believe president taft substantially approved of the aldrich plan i do not know that his approval went to every detail but i believe it covered the general progress of a central reserve association i believe it is clear that public opinion is advancing along those lines very rapidly very truly yours the above is conclusive proof that wall street and the banks believe the president is definitely with them in the coming contest they generally know they do not guess on matters so vital to their business interests the recently published statement by senator burton said to be a close adviser of the president his signature to be the monetary commission's report and the warm advocacy of the aldrich plan in his annual report of december fourth nineteen eleven by the secretary of the treasury mcvee all indicate that the present administration is committed to the plan of taking away from the government and granting to a private corporation owned by the banks all control of the public currency of the united states the president argues against consolidation of the money or banking power of the nation and then favors the aldrich plan that would bind all banks into one great money trust by act of congress the pending bill permits the reserve association to adopt regulations and binds each bank specifically to obey such regulations present and future this gives the central bank as much power over all banks as it would have if it owned the entire capital stock of every bank one has to twice read the president's statement that the national reserve association is in no sense a central bank to be certain that it was not intended as one of those famous presidential jokes anyway wall street and the banks all had a good laugh over that statement joke or no joke the bill reported by the commission printed herein in full shows that although for prudential reasons to full andrew jackson democrats aldrich named it reserve association instead of central bank the corporation is to have all of the ordinary functions powers and privileges of european central banks and of the central bank abolished by president jackson president taft quoting aldrich and vreeland in his boston speech called it a central bank of issue there has been no change in the functions of the institution since the new york chamber of commerce originated the plan in nineteen o six 
elsewhere herein fully described the only real change was in the form of management in nineteen o six it was to be a government central bank with the federal government in supreme control now it is a private central bank with the banks in supreme control Audric, to obscure this has devised a complicated system of branch boards and for electing directors he calls it a republican or democratic form of government but the people have no hand in it the banks are the source of all power if all public officials were elected by vote of the corporations instead of the people it would be the kind of democracy aldrich devised and the president praises for the national reserve association the government of ninety-four million people chooses four and the bank fraternity forty-two of the forty-six directors of the central bank the benefits are divided in about the same proportion it is to be a private corporation with shares of stock received deposits issue notes have a reserve loan its credit discount paper buy and sell bills of exchange charge interest accumulate a surplus pay dividends the president surely must have taken mr aldrich's word for the statement that the national reserve association would not be a central bank is untrue and ridiculous if all banks join it will have over twenty four thousand depositors this central bank will do for such customers the banks all the things an ordinary bank does for its customers it is a central instead of an ordinary bank because the banks and the government are to be its only customers the president seemed to realize that there would be a big fight over the question as to whether control of the institution shall be public or private the people are certain to resist giving control of their entire money supply into private hands but president taft says it seems to be desirable that the banks which would own the association should in the main manage it it will be an agency of the banks to act for them and they can be trusted better than anybody else chiefly to conduct it on page eleven of the published address made by president aldrich before the economic club of new york issued by the monetary commission he said the management of the bank of england is in the hands of twenty-four directors selected largely from merchants no bankers in their sense of the word being eligible for the position and these include the governor and deputy governor elected by the directors from their own number have control of the business of the bank here is the greatest central bank in the world the policy of which largely influences the interest rate supply of credit and business conditions not only in the british empire but throughout the world and yet not one banker ever is allowed on its board of directors or to occupy any position except as a mere hired employee there is a reason a fundamental one that congress should heed for that english policy is the result of a century of careful experience the truth is the bankers always are on one side and businessmen on the opposite in the game of finance the bankers loan businessmen borrow bankers charge interest businessmen pay it the banker naturally seeks to increase his profit by increasing interest and other charges and this increases the burden on business but the people consumers pay it all for interest and bank charges their expense included in the cost and increase by at least that much the prices of commodities big bankers in a sense are parasites on business they make all their money that way many are good men honest fair and reasonable elsewhere herein it is shown that very many are unfair sordid dishonest as a class during all history their avarice and rapacity has increased with their riches and power they often take advantage and abuse popular confidence and increase their profits and the public burden when trusted with power and opportunity this is history it is the reason banks are barred out of the management of the bank of england it is why the good lord scourged and drove them from the temple it is why six hundred years b c mohammed rebuked and broke with his uncles the bankers of mecca for charging one hundred percent interest taking the side of the poor and founding a religion that has now a hundred and seventy-six million followers 
it is the reason why bankers should not be given by congress monopolistic control of the public currency with exclusive power to fix the rate of discount interest without restraint that all the people of the country must pay the power to eliminate all competition for loans a money trust the policy of the bank of england means that over there businessmen and merchants have more influence than bankers in matters of government and legislation and therefore they have put a bridle on banks and bankers to make them serve instead of dictate to all business because the bank of england issues the currency and regulates the money supply and interest rates it is managed exclusively by patriotic businessmen for the common good they know that if the bankers were in control money might artificially be made scarce for the very purpose of increasing interest rates that more profits might be extorted from businessmen by the bankers to put bankers or the dummies of bankers in control of the national reserve association is to make it certain that year by year the supply of money and credit will be so manipulated that it will impose upon legitimate business all over the country an ever-increasing interest burden and expense for bank accommodations it is all right to hire the best of expert bankers to do the technical work but they should be as in england mere employees under the absolute control of a board composed of broad-minded and patriotic businessmen republicans and democrats from all parts of the country sworn as public servants that is the only safe plan but aldrich and the president would turn the whole thing public currency public revenues government funds of all kinds all the money in the united states over to absolute control of a selfish private banking syndicate so that no one could get a dollar for any purpose without the consent of the syndicate and on its terms the president's argument that congress need not hesitate about adopting the scheme because it does not work well it can be amended is like urging a sick patient to swallow the unknown content of a bottle marked poison because if he doesn't like it and he finds it is likely to kill him the patient can just simply throw the poison up again did aldrich get the president to insert that clever suggestion concealing from the chief executive the amending clause of the commission's bill as follows section fifty eight congress reserves the right to alter or amend the provisions of this act to take effect at the end of any decennial period from and after the organization of the national reserve association note the absence of the word repeal in the above section it is nowhere in the bill decennial means tenth anniversary congress is asked to bind its own hands and shackle the whole country for ten years so that during that time the sovereignty of the government is powerless to make any change it puts the central bank the money trust above independent of and superior to law government the people for ten years and successive periods of ten years before ten years the promoters expect this money monster will have attained such political power that thereafter any amendments will be for the benefit of the banks and wall street instead of for the people this provision is typical of the whole bill and reveals the grasping power of the special interests now bringing pressure on the whole country through the banks and otherwise to force it through congress and it strikingly reveals the unpatriotic course of the paid sworn and trusted public servants of the monetary commission who seem to be trying to betray the people in the country into the power of the banks and wall street this is the most insolent amending clause ever inserted in a bill introduced into congress and the government's paid and sworn monetary commission urges its adoption the first to start the cry of nonpartisanship in the alleged hope of keeping the opponents of the aldrich plan divided while the minority as a compact balance of power can be used to terrify both parties and extort unwilling support for the aldrich plan in congress among both democrats and republicans was paul m warburg partner in the great wall street banking house of kuhn loeb and company said to represent or do business for standard oil and the rothschilds of europe he as the reputed author of the aldrich plan 
did this at a meeting in wall street of bankers and others held to advance the plan as elsewhere herein fully shown mr aldrich took up this wall street cry and used it throughout the country and now the chief executive of the republic echoes it from the white house of the nation in his official message to congress the president's message however is even more remarkable for its omissions when it was written the president had available the official report of the united states comptroller of the currency made on december fourth nineteen eleven the comptroller as shown elsewhere here in full made the most astounding and terrible charges against banks and bankers ever contained in a public document he showed that over half of all national banks knowingly and constantly break the laws of the united states he charged bankers wholesale with dishonesty grafting and crime he made his showing from the sworn admissions of the banks themselves on file in his office he urged congress to amend the laws increase the criminal penalties that he might be better able to enforce the law against the banks for the protection of depositors borrowers and the public did the president support this request of the comptroller did he instruct his attorney general to proceed to enforce the law against bankers officially shown to be law violators no but he did in that message criticize federal judges for shielding a few grafting clerks of federal courts and urged congress to enact a law giving power of removal to the president as well as to the judges instead of instructing the department of justice to prosecute the thousands of rich and powerful criminal bankers he puts the entire machinery of government to work to discover and punish a mere handfuls of misguided working men and then urges congress to turn over to these very lawless bankers for their personal profit the supreme government function of issuing all public currency and the other imperial powers included in the aldrich plan working men who break law should be punished but lawless bankers and millionaires should be treated the same way because they have violated the same identical criminal statute the law of the united states it is difficult to reconcile the former assertions of the president in his message in public speeches that he proposed to enforce the law every law against all violators rich or poor individual or corporation labor union or trust without discrimination fear or favor with his apparent indifference to the constant violation of several different provisions of the federal law by thousands of bankers officially accused by the comptroller of the united states nor is it due to any oversight or lack of information on the part of the president writer personally put into the president's own hands at the white house on november sixteenth nineteen eleven two weeks before the comptroller's report was made public on december fourth nineteen eleven the written statement here in before printed in full which contained the charge based on evidence privately obtained by writer that the records in the comptroller's office showed that at least forty per cent of all national banks were constant and intentional lawbreakers we earnestly wish there was some possible way to explain or excuse this strange course of the president whether so intended or not the conduct of the present administration of government and the law tends to constitute and classify the prosperous and powerful bankers and the wall street financers as a favored class exempt and above the law daily treating the laws and authority of government with utter contempt ignoring their sworn obligations to their depositors stockholders and the public breaking criminal statutes with impunity and because of the indifference of the department of justice or the policy of the executive enjoying full immunity from penalties or forfeiture fines and imprisonment he has often and well said that in a republic it is dangerous to execute the laws in any but a just equal and impartial manner it cannot be that questions of mere political expediency would induce the learned jurist 
the distinguished public servant the sworn and trusted president to compound with or grant active or passive immunity to lawless bankers as a class because they are bankers rich and politically influential and even to urge congress now to vastly increase their profits and power by law as shown in another chapter there are forty thousand national bank officers and directors this very moment who are guilty under the laws of the united states of the crime of conspiracy each being liable to a fine not exceeding ten thousand dollars or imprisonment not more than two years or both and there is ample evidence in the comptroller's office and elsewhere to prove the charge in each case yet the attorney general does not act the president is silent why politically speaking events soon will show that if the president took his stand knowingly it was suicide if he was deceived it was assassination so long as the special interests get away with the plunder they waste no tears over the coffin containing the blasted political hopes of careless or faithless public servants whom they have induced to betray the public welfare into their itching hands governor harmon william j bryan says that judson harmon governor of ohio as one of the candidates for the democratic nomination for the presidency being secretly supported by wall street this may explain why Governor Harmon ignored or did not answer a recent courteous letter by author asking him whether he was in favor of the Aldrich Private Central Bank bill now pending in Congress. Following is the letter. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, December 18, 1911. Governor Judson Harmon, Columbus, Ohio. Dear Sir, the need of wise and practical banking and currency reform now is so important. Kindly advise as to whether you favor the suggested National Reserve Association plan advocated by the National Monetary Commission. Thanking you, I am, very respectfully yours, Alfred O. Crozier. End of Appendix Correspondence Part 2 Read by Elsie Selwyn